Sometimes it's easy to take things for granted. For instance, there are things we do or use without even knowing how those things entered our lives. Sometimes even everyday things in the form of ideas have come to us from overseas, but we wouldn't necessarily know it. Well, this podcast is about remarkable people who've been supported to go overseas, bring new ideas home, and then put them into action in Australia. People who embark on a Churchill Fellowship to learn globally, but then come back to Australia to inspire locally. I'm Adam Spencer, and this is the Churchill Collective. In this episode, let's go shopping! I suddenly realised, hey, I've now got an opportunity to actually do something for consumers. It's all about something we've all encountered in the supermarket, but which wasn't always around. We take it for granted and it's very common for some products and services. That's Ian Jarrett, an executive member of the Consumers Federation of Australia, talking about his calling. It's a passion that's affected all of our lives. What is unit pricing and and why does it matter? Well, unit pricing is quite simply providing the price of a product or a service in terms of a standardised unit of measure. We take it for granted and it's very common for some products and services. For example, we always buy petrol. It's always priced per litre. Electricity is priced per kilowatt hour. And when we're employing tradespeople, they often charge us by the hour. So that's the simple concept. It's very common also for grocery products, which is where I come in. So products that are sold loose from bulk, like fruit and vegetables, you know, where you go and pick your own or somebody packs it for you, they've been, since Adam was a boy, they've been sold on a per kilo basis, or in some instances it's per each. So it's a very simple and very old concept, but it's very important because it allows consumers to accurately and quickly compare prices and values. And it's particularly important with these packaged products. Yes, you see, there was a time when packaged products were not unit-priced in supermarkets. They'd have to stand at a shelf and there'd be 500 grams of something for a certain price, 300 grams for another price, and a 1.2 kilo bag from yet another store. Unless you were pretty good at maths and a bit of a nerd like me, it was hard to compare those three similar but differently packaged and sized items. It could be a nightmare for anyone looking to get value for money. Very difficult, very difficult indeed. And that's why I was so passionate about unit pricing, because I could see if we could get it into Australian supermarkets, it would make a great difference to consumers, make life a lot easier for them and help them to save money and time, because those people that were calculating these things themselves were spending a lot of time doing so. It's an interesting one because the change has happened now and in Australia it is just standard when you're going to the supermarket, you will see comparative unit pricing, but it wasn't always the case. For consumers like us, it felt as though it just suddenly happened one day, but people like yourself and consumer organisations like Choice had actually been agitating for a long time before it came about, hadn't you? Yeah, they had, and they were getting nowhere for a variety of reasons. That was an era when it was assumed by many government policymakers and politicians that if it was beneficial, then the retailers would provide it for consumers, that consumer pressure would result in it being introduced. 
And there was also a lot of misinformation around about how it was operating overseas and where it was operating and whether it was operating and whether it was successful or not. What was the nature of the opposition you'd face in the day? What were the arguments against unit pricing, Ian? Well, at that time, there was a very much a laissez-faire, minimum regulation type thoughts in many people's minds. And I wouldn't say that the supermarkets themselves were ultra-enthusiastic about it. Ian's enthusiasm was unwavering, but he needed to go overseas to gather evidence about what was happening in more regulated environments, places that were more consumer-friendly. A Churchill Fellowship was calling. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. So what, you might ask, does Britain's famous wartime Prime Minister have to do with unit pricing in supermarkets? Well, to commemorate Churchill's life and legacy, a special fund was set up, a trust that would help Australians go overseas to learn new ideas to bring back home. It's a way for us down here to keep in touch with international movements. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And Ian Jarrett wasn't going to surrender either. And this is where the Churchill Fellowship comes in. And this is what I love, Ian, because what I love about the Churchill Fellowships, that they're so broad and the the sweep of people caught up in the community of the fellowships. One day I'll be talking to a heart surgeon, the next day to a filmmaker, and today to a guy who's passionate about unit pricing for commodities in supermarkets and the like. You, You had an issue, you saw something you wanted to do. How did that lead you to a Churchill Fellowship, Ian? How'd you hear about the program? Well, Adam, uh, as I said earlier, I soon realized when I investigated this that Choice and others had been getting nowhere with the government. The supermarkets weren't going to introduce it voluntarily. There was a lot of misinformation around. So I thought, look, the only way to break this situation, get an improvement, is to actually get some information yourself. I was sort of getting ready to go on a private trip myself, and then I suddenly thought, oh, hey, there's a Churchill Fellowship, so why don't I apply for that? And uh, that's what happened, and the rest, as they say, is history. And you didn't muck around when it came to your study tour, did you? Seven weeks, five countries, 36 official meetings, 54 different supermarkets visited around the world. You were one busy boy. Which countries did you go to, and why did you particularly choose those locations, Ian? Well, the first country I went to was the USA, the east coast of the USA, because that's where unit pricing started in the 50s and 60s. You know, where there was the shift in how you bought groceries from you being served with them and them being loose and to a packaged product. And they realized in the USA that price transparency was being lost in that process. So they said to the supermarkets and the food manufacturers, look, uh, we're going to regulate the pack sizes. And the the industry didn't want that. So they brought in unit pricing as an alternative. So that that was on a voluntary basis. And then when the oil shock crisis occurred in the early 70s and there was real economic strife, the people realized the unit pricing provided voluntarily wasn't working very well in the U.S. So some states, only some states, a few of them, made it compulsory. So that's why I went to the USA, because it's the birthplace of grocery unit pricing. Ready, 
And another great thing about going to the USA was that it was a perfect place to model what aspects of unit pricing worked, where and how. And that's because in America, unit pricing was being run by individual states. In some it was compulsory, in some optional. Some states did it well, others didn't do it at all. So Ian could study all of these different models operating in the one country. And then there was Europe. That's right. At one stage I thought I should just go to the USA, but then when I dug in a bit deeper I realised it was desirable to go to Europe because the European Union had introduced a directive which required every one of its member states, and I think there was about 27 of them, to introduce legislation to make provision of unit pricing compulsory. And that was very modern legislation. The legislation in the USA was very old, from the early 1970s. So that's why I went to Europe. And I, first of all, I went to Belgium, where the European Union's headquartered. So I talked to them about their directive and what they thought about unit pricing. And I was also able there to meet up with a consumer organization that was one of the few in Europe that had taken a real interest in unit pricing and was pressing for there to be improvements. I I wanted to ask you about that, Ian, because as an outsider, I presume you've either got unit pricing or you don't. I can't see many shades of grey within there, but I'm getting the impression from you that there's a whole range of different ways the program might be implemented. There's different possible standards of rigour. Did you come across particularly innovative approaches or what you thought were cutting-edge approaches to unit pricing during this fellowship? Well, I did, yeah. In the USA, in some of the eastern states, they'd specified very carefully how the unit prices had to be provided on shelf labels. So they had big print and they had specific colours and things like that, which makes it very easy for the unit pricing to be seen by consumers in stores. And Sweden had followed their example as well. So I went to Sweden to see what was happening in Sweden. So it was good for me to see a whole range of unit pricing and see where it was being done reasonably well and where it was being done, quite frankly, terribly. It's always the Swedes, isn't it? It's always the Swedes who are doing it well. And anything like this has to walk hand in hand with consumer education. It's one thing to have a world-class scheme, but unless the people who are meant to use it suddenly realise what the change is all about, it might not be as effective. Did you see much on consumer education programs and the like during your research, Anne? Well, my overall impression was that once it's in, people forget about consumer education. And that's wrong because it doesn't sell itself automatically. And particularly if it's hard to read on the shelf labels, it certainly doesn't sell itself. And you've always got a new generation of consumers coming in that have never been exposed to unit pricing. You've got a lot of migrants in some countries, including Australia, that know nothing about unit pricing. So consumer education, ongoing consumer education is really important. Ian came back to Australia to put all of his new information to good use. First, he wrote a report making a series of recommendations. It included a recommendation that if it were to be done in Australia, unit pricing needed to be compulsory. He found that in American states where it was not made law, it was either done badly or not done at all. And he also had a stroke of luck. Just as he finished and submitted his assessment, a new supermarket chain arrived in Australia from Germany. And this chain already used unit pricing. They demonstrated that you actually could do it, it wouldn't cost a fortune and consumers would use it. 
And then the Rudd government came in in 2007 and we managed to get in the terms of reference for the ACCC inquiry into the grocery industry, some reference to how they displayed prices, and we managed to get out of that a firm recommendation that there would be mandatory unit pricing in Australia. So it all sort of fell in line. I never expected it to happen so quickly. I said to people, oh, it'll be about five years before anything happens, but we were just lucky, you know. We did the report in 2007, and we had the legislation in 2009. It's just the absolute perfect storm. I love it. Beyond that, you've gone on to undertake research of your own. You've persuaded academics to undertake research on unit pricing in Australia and around the world. What does it feel like, Ian, to know you've made such a huge difference to the lives of Australian grocery shoppers? Well, it gives me a lot of pleasure. And I, I really get a warm feeling when I tell people that I was involved in the, this being brought in and they say, oh, gosh, I am so grateful. I don't know how I managed without it. You know, and so that gives me a real buzz when people say that. And they're genuine. They're not being just polite to me. Because uh, it is, it's just such a simple, practical tool that can deliver so many benefits. As we've made clear, and you're at the heart of this in Australia, so you're, you're hopelessly biased, you're, you're compromised to the point where it's probably hard to be objective, but when you look at the current Australian regime, compared to various US states, compared to the European Union, other places in the world, compulsory versus voluntary, different levels of compliance, different levels of enforcement, on a world scale, how does Australia's unit pricing scheme stack up? As every unit pricing system for groceries in the world has, we've still got major difficulties in terms of the legibility and the prominence of the unit prices and also the units of measure that are used. There's still far too much, particularly on the internet, inconsistency in the units of measure used and it's compounded in Australia because if you want to compare loose products with packaged products, which is a really important comparison, everybody gets fixed with the idea of comparing package sizes, but we also need to be able to compare the price of products sold loose with the ones that are in the packages. And we've got a lot of flexibility in the separate legislation that regulates what unit of measure you use when you show the price of the loose products. So I was just saying to my wife today when I showed her a bag of avocados that I bought at the supermarket a few days ago, I said to her, and I took pictures at the same time because some of the avocados were unit priced per each and some of them were unit priced per kilo. And that makes life very difficult in terms of comparisons. And there are many more types of examples where that occurs. So I would say that our system, it's like the curate's egg. It's good in parts. Mm -hmm. So, Ian, when you come home with a bag of avocados, some of which are unit priced, some of which are not, and you call your wife out and you show her the different prices and the different regimes and you make a compelling argument for why we need better application of unit pricing, in this case for avocados, does your wife say, out you go there, Ian, go and fight that battle, or does she roll her eyes a little bit? Where's she at on the whole unit pricing thing, Ian? A bit of a mixture, a bit of a mixture, <laughs> but, but she is very supportive. She is very supportive, and she's never afraid to tell people that her husband had a part in the fact that we've got unit pricing in Australia. Well, it's good to hear that you've still got 
the fire in the belly to go forward this Ian. On closing, be honest with me, mate. Do you ever have a moment out shopping? You're in the rice aisle, say, and you see 15 different options for your rice, all sorts of sizes and prices, and you look down and you see the comparative cost per 100 grams. Do you take a moment to think, yeah, I did that. Good on me. Well, I do. I do, because I can, as I said earlier, other people is, tell me it's beneficial as well. So it's not just a benefit to me. I particularly think about the single mum that's struggling to feed four teenage boys who are forever raiding the fridge and how she needs to make her dollars go as far as she possibly can. I promise you next time I'm in the supermarket with anyone and we're shopping for anything, I'm going to take a couple of seconds to point to those little comparative tabs and tell them, you know, that wasn't the case up until 2009 in Australia. I'll mention the east coast of the USA, I'll mention the European Union, and I will mention Ian Jarrett, OAM, the reason we have unit pricing in Australia. Ian, it has been an absolute pleasure to share your story on the Churchill Collective today. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, that was the remarkable Ian Jarrett and his story of how one man's passion can change lives across a whole nation. So how's your story going? Are there skills or is there knowledge you could gain overseas that you might find difficult or even impossible to get here in Australia? If so, a Churchill Fellowship might be just for you. You can learn more at the Churchill Trust website, churchilltrust.com.au. I'm Adam Spencer, and you've been listening to the Churchill Collective Podcast. You can follow the Churchill Collective free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Churchill Collective is produced by the good people at Sound Cartel for the Winston Churchill Trust. <laughs>